across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or at the web. VeteransRadio.org is our new URL, VeteransRadio.org. Where we're on the web 24-7, you can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.org. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at LegalHelpForVeterans.com. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, Matthew Weiss. He's been invited on to talk about uh, the recruiting problem, and he wrote a book that uh, addresses this, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, Examining the Military Recruiting Crisis with Generation Z, which he puts himself in. Uh, Matthew, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this very important topic today. Well, Matthew brings to this um, a, a couple of perspectives. First, uh, he's in that generation, um, but uh, I'd also point out that he holds a BS and an MBA from the Warden School at the University of Pennsylvania and then joined the Marine Corps. Um, he is an intelligence officer in the Corps and currently stationed in Australia. Uh, and along the way, had some time to write uh, this book and talk about recruiting issues at a time when Army, Navy, Air Force, everybody is uh, sh- hitting short of the mark for making their annual recruiting numbers. And that has long-term impl- implications um, for the U.S. military. Uh, Matthew, tell us, let's start with why uh, Why did you join the military? Why did you join the Marines after uh, going through the University of Pennsylvania? Absolutely. So I sort of was a non-typical joiner. Um, I'm an MBA. I started working in the corporate world at a, a nice position right in Washington, D.C. at a big defense technology firm, a fast-growing company. But I still, I like to say this question, I have two answers. I have an external answer and an internal answer. And internally, like many veterans and many Americans before, I was patriotic. I wanted to serve my country. I think a lot of my generation and Gen Z still is. Externally, I think I was very open. I looked at this quite simply as an advancement of my career. I said, this is the single greatest place where I can learn leadership. The military is the greatest leadership factory of any institution or organization. And that's something I want to invest in and learn, join the Marine Corps and learn how to lead people. And so I think one unique part about Gen Z is we're very open with our reasons. 
Um, we're not all just going to give the same patriotic answer. I think we're all very open, and that's something that society should be accepting of, that Gen Z is very honest and transparent with the actual direct reason, what's in it for me, why are they actually joining? And so that's my secondary reason for joining. And and this was not about a family history of military service, which is kind of historically what's brought a lot of people to military service. This was really you evaluating and say, hey, if I want to have a long-term advancement uh, in my life, in my career, this would be a great way to get some skills and training set uh, that I wouldn't otherwise have. Exactly. That was my calculus, and uh, I think Gen Z is the first generation that's in this professional military very willing as well to say similar things. Uh, I want to join because of college. I want to join because of this opportunity. And I think as a society, we should encourage that and allow all those reasons to be just as nobly supported as people that join because true patriotism or service desire. Well, those things aren't mutually exclusive either. You've got to have some personal reason, but maybe a bigger reason too, be part of a bigger thing, or if you want to call it patriotism, or maybe it's a family connection, whatever it is. But I want to go to the question of, why, why did you think, of all the things you could write on, this was something that you ought to contribute some thought and, and uh, uh, commentary into the literature on? Absolutely. So quite simply, I was watching a couple of news stations that were talking about this recruiting crisis. And they had very respected admirals and generals on TV. And I'm a junior second lieutenant. I had a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn from these great American heroes and great American veterans. That being said, for this particular crisis, I am the one closest to the ground because I was just recruited myself when I was writing only a couple months ago into the Marine Corps. And the people around me also went through that process. And our enlisted Marines and enlisted sailors right near us also went through that process. So I found it incorrect that on TV, they have some person who was an extremely established admiral or general, but they were 40 years out from the recruiting process. They didn't understand the generation like myself. They don't know what's on our Instagram feeds, on our Facebook pages like myself. So I felt like I had to contribute that Generation Z ground level perspective to those senior level thinkers to give them the data, the analysis that they need to then go and hopefully solve this thing. So that's why I felt like I had to write this. And I think that's exactly what is maybe needed to try to solve this is, uh, as you say, not 30, 40 year generals, but but folks who are in today's generation with today's choices in society, uh, getting a better survey of what triggers their willingness and desire to uh, be recruited and, and, and enlist. And even today, as uh, Matthew and I are talking, uh, the Army Times had an article about some five new, six new plans that the Army was going to implement to try to increase uh, recruiting efforts. Um, and, and one of them is making the um, raising the commanding general rank to a three-star level uh, and extending the command tour length to four years. I mean, this is that's got nothing to do with it here. That's taking the guy at the top, giving him another star, and giving him more time in that position. I was uh, underwhelmed by these points. You have some specific ideas that you break this down into as to suggestions, 
because anybody can whine as I'm doing about uh, the recruiting crisis. The, the 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 point of your book, we don't want you, Uncle Sam, is to offer some uh, suggestions as to how to improve recruiting into the Gen Z uh, category. Give us uh, your thoughts. Absolutely. Well, again, so I wrote the book, We Don't Want Your Uncle Sam, and that title is provocative for a reason because that's essentially what Gen Z is saying, right? The famous recruiting poster, Uncle Sam, saying, I want you for U.S. Army. Now it's, we don't want you, Uncle Sam, frankly. Gen Z is turning its back on military service. So I decided to write 21 concepts, really 21 chapters that each have a problem that relates to the crisis and then a solution and sort of ways that we can think. And the book isn't meant to be the be-all, end-all. It's meant to really stimulate a conversation. It's sort of a guide for us all in the country to have a sort of a dinner table conversation about what the military can do better, because my idea was that will stimulate the best concepts that can then bubble up to decision makers. So that's sort of how the book is formatted in the 21 sections. Now, in those sections, there are really four sections um, that I split the chapters into. And so I'll, we won't go through every chapter today, but I'll briefly touch on the four sections and then you could, you know, we could dive into specific chapters or specific recommendations. So the first is just setting a baseline. It's recruiting fundamentals. It's analyzing the basics of Gen Z military recruitment, meaning who is Gen Z? I wanted to set a baseline of who is my generation? What do I observe about my generation? What does the data show? Who is this group of people these young people in America today that we're trying to recruit. I think everyone involved needs to start with that basis. Um, every business in America is trying to do the same thing. So I sort of wrote this for an explanation of Gen Z. Part two discusses workforce parity, how we can bring military working conditions in line with Gen Z expectations of the civilian workplace. I think Gen Z has a view and a model of the civilian workplace, right? Post-COVID, you know, Gen Z, I like to say, grew up with a first generation that did not have 9-11, meaning it did not impact our lives the way it impacted everyone that was cognizant or born. 9-11 happened for many of us after we were born with the first generation, or that doesn't remember it. So the first you know few years, Gen Z goes from 1998 to 2012, those first few years that had no cognizance. So what impacted Gen Z? Sort of three major events permeate our childhood. That's the 2008 Great Financial Crisis. The 2016 divisive election, again, regardless of which political party, which side you root for, we've seen politics become more divisive during our development. And then the COVID um, pandemic, which hit us in a way that's much different because if you were in high school or middle school, COVID had a much larger impact on your development than, say, you were a 40-year-old or you know, 44-year-old or something like that. So workforce parity, this whole chapter sort of analyzes the generational development and says, additionally, with all of our social media and devices, what do we expect out of a workplace? How do we make the military a more appealing workplace? Understanding the military is always going to be unique, have very tough jobs, and have certain tasks that you can't get around. Now, I, I, can, is, I can hear somebody right now, though, Matthew, going, wait a minute. This Marine thinks it does, you have to change the workplace to so that the military members can work from home? Yeah, so it's it's a good point. So so no, I'm obviously not calling for that. I'm not calling. One thing I, I also want to make sure, and I spoke to some key generals about this. I'm not calling for lowering of the standards of the military in any way. I don't think the military should be made softer. We are a lethal fighting force designed to 
defend and protect the Constitution of the United States of America, right? There is no pushing back on that. We're just as tough as ever, and we need to keep the standards as tough as ever. If anything, we want a more professional military with even better service members who are really just the best top-of-the-barrel people. That's what we're really pushing for. The point is, though, I think there are structural barriers, and a lot of them are bureaucratic requirements, and I'll go give you an example here in a second, that are preventing us from getting that, right? We've grown to such this big bureaucracy that certain things are not actually increasing our lethality, but exist as sort of a blocker. So I'll give an example. The health assessions process, right? The health assessions process is super outdated. There's this thing called the DOTI, which is basically like the health requirements. And then we go through this thing called MEPS that was essentially established in 1940s, like this 1940s process. And everyone goes through processing and there's a lot of delays because they don't have enough doctors, enough people to actually cycle everyone through. So if you're a high schooler today, you graduate in May, high school, 18 years old. Sometimes, even if you saw them down the line, it could take you three months to go through the MAPS process. We're losing kids because the accession process is taking super long. Whereas if you get a job at McDonald's or Amazon, they'll have you start working next week. Going three months without pay is sort of wallowing. That doesn't work for many people. And that's a general, as you say, that's a good generational example. Today, we expect it to happen instantly, don't we? So if if Mm -hmm. if I make this decision... And you slow me down for three months, or hell, for a month, I'm going to move on to something else. That That's sort of what you're explaining to us. Exactly. We want to move fast. We want to be convicted. Right? Uh, uh, we want to have conviction of our decisions, essentially. And there's another example I'll give. So, with the, And this is a typical example of bureaucratic red tape and rules sort of ruining the outcome. So we have this new thing, MHS Genesis, which is basically – allows everyone's health records to be digital and connected. It's actually a good technology, right? But because of the policy behind it, no one ever went through the nuance of changing it. Now, if a kid is a varsity athlete, going to be a great military uh, service member, right? They're, they're physically able, everything is just checking the box, et cetera. But they broke their arm in the third grade, and it's somehow documented on this you know, digital medical record. They have to go back to some doctors, get some approvals, and then go through checks at MEPS to prove that they're not still impacted by that third-grade injury, right? That's crazy. And this person could have been a varsity athlete performing at the highest level, you know, throughout all of high school, right? So that's where no one wrote back into the policy, well, you know, these things are exempt or these things don't matter. Or sure, if he was on some mental health medication for a little bit of studying during high school for two years or so there's an increase in that so we should adjust the policy we're not adjusting the policies in time doing the hard policy work to impact with the technology and that slows us down and just pushes people away yeah and we've had uh, here on veterans radio uh, before guests talking about the waiver issue the medical waiver issue that has to be employed to work these workarounds to to keep uh recruitment and enlistment up because, as you say, kind of old policies that are slowing slowing things down. Um, but, but there are uh, values to being in the military. You identified, you know, getting leadership skills and, and things as something that drove you there. Is the, is the military doing enough to communicate the right way in the right format the value of service uh, to Gen Z? 
It's a, it's a great question. So the way I'm going to answer, I've had thousands of conversations now because I like to tie my data, sort of I had a statistics background at Wharton, right, with actual anecdotes. And so throughout the book, I sort of interspersed various things, but I've had thousands of conversations now with young junior service members like myself. And very interesting insights revealed. One of them, though, I've been asking, I said, would you do it all again? And almost 100% say yes. If Actually, 100% say yes. Now, there's a confirmation bias there, but 100% say, yes, I would do this again. The experience had some value to me. Meaning, there is a value proposition, clearly, of this experience of military service, and we have to just rediscover that. And so I sat down and I said, what is the value prop that we should be selling Gen Z? And what is like the thesis of the book, the overall thing? It's not some Super Bowl ad with you know some you know, slaying of the dragon thing or something crazy. It's the following. The military is the world's greatest physical social network. For a generation that is social networking on Instagram and Facebook, for a generation that is extremely lonely, we have more depression, anxiety, mental health issues in our generation than any generation in the past. The data show that. For a generation stuck with that, the military is the world's, I'm looking for connection. The military is the world's greatest place to get that. The connection you have with those next to you that potentially will save your life one day, but regardless, the connection you develop, the bonds you develop by going through these shared experiences like boot camp, training, events, exercises, et cetera, is stronger than any other career field. And it provides that connection, that physical social network that we all experience, that veterans all experience. You instantly can identify with each other. That's what Gen Z is looking for. And that's what the military provides, but it needs to resurface that ideal that this is the world's greatest physical social network. It's really the creation of the military is a fraternity of men and women who can relate to each other because they went through similar sort of things. Didn't really necessarily matter where the service was. You all have been in a, in a crappy base or a goofy location or uh, out at sea, uh, you know, away from society. So that's what you're talking about. You're going to have that connection for life with other folks who can relate to you, similar circumstances. Absolutely, 100%. You raised another issue that uh, I thought was um, a great intersection between what what I think the civilian corporate world's trying to do and maybe what what the military needs to do more of or explain more of what it's doing. And that's the whole concept that Gen Z is looking for mentorship. It's looking for uh, whether, no matter where you work, you're looking for that connection to somebody in the corporate chain who's kind of being your mentor or champion. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So Gen Z really values transparency and it values learning things that society doesn't teach well. So what I mean by that is Gen Z is maybe the first generation that truly has more knowledge at our fingertips than our elders, right? It is very possible that the new Gen Z or that joins the office, right, without disrespecting those with the experience, literally will know more, right, more data, more facts. He or she has more coming at them via technology than past generations, right? It's not like, oh, the computer generation, millennials just learning. We grew up with instant streams, constant news, constant data, constant videos, almost too much hitting us. So what are we really desiring? We're desiring, A, someone to help us cut through all this noise. B, we're desiring transparent leadership that isn't going to say, oh, 
you know, you're just the junior one. You don't know anything. They're going to say, hey, listen, you have unique new skills. Here as a mentor, I can teach you how to bring those skills into the workplace, how to nurture you into a society. And frankly, again, Gen Z, I, I described the three things, three major events of our time period. It's, a, it's an interesting time period to grow up, right? We're struggling to make sense of a fast-changing, fast-moving world. We haven't yet set ourselves up in the world. We're trying to learn. And so I think mentors and our elders have, and veterans specifically have amazing experience to help us cut through all this noise and all this data and can teach us things that society can't necessarily teach us in high school. It can't be taught on a video, right? Key skills, key mental frameworks for thinking about life. That is something Gen Z, I think, really values and something the military should do a good job of, but also society should really mentor and nurture Generation Z in that way. Yeah, I think, uh, again, the corporate world is maybe focused more on that and, and maybe the military world needs to express to to the uh, possible recruits, you're going to get that kind of mentorship. You're going to get somebody who cares about making sure that you get out of boot camp, that you become a successful Marine, that you can do the job. That's what they want. They're not trying to flush you out. Um you raise another issue that's kind of interesting, and, I've, and, and, and it's about military pay and structure. And, and let's, let's begin with, um, there's sort of this, uh, everybody gets paid the same at the same rate. Uh, so from a female-male standpoint, there's this equal pay issue that's, that's uh, right on the surface, which you don't have in the corporate world. So... Whether you're a minority, whether you're a female, you're coming in, you're getting paid as the same as the guy with the same time and rank next to you. But you say you got to go a little bit beyond that for the Gen Z folks. Um, talk about some of those ideas. Absolutely. So I think in a professional organization, you need to have incentives and you need to show that incentives reward performance. But we want, we want again, like I said, the best people, we want people to strive to actually do well or else you get brought down to the baseline level of performance, right? So I think base pay being equal for everyone is fine and is good and shouldn't change. It's unique about the military. But I think even if it was only 10% of pay, there should be the concept of bonus pay. Meaning, or, or we can use various mechanisms to create that, but bonus pay meaning you want to incentivize people to strive, people to do better, people to push, right? Not every lieutenant is equal to every lieutenant. There are some uh, intelligence officer, there are some intelligence officers that are just simply better than other ones. There are some that are worse. So if we go and do an exercise, right, instead of just saying, oh, let's motivate each other just because we're motivated, right, there should be a little bit of bonus advantage. So this platoon did better than this platoon in exercise. They get a little bit of beer money on Friday, right? And the Marines had a tradition of that. They actually used to give beer money to better sharpshooters on in the 1800s all the way back then. But the point is there should be this little performance incentives for either teams in the military, individuals, right? You can maybe say this battalion commander gets three uh, spot promotions, early promotions to give out this quarter. So the three best performing service members that quarter are competing and maybe they get a promotion, which effectively obviously works for pay raise. The point is there has to be some incentive for performance. We have that in the corporate world and Gen Z wants that. Gen Z is naturally a competitive generation. I think this insight will be interesting. One thing I observed because Gen Z grew up with the iPhone in hand with social media literally available to us from day one, 
anytime you post on Facebook or on Instagram, you instantly get likes and comments. And your friend next to you gets likes or comments. And one of you is going to get more likes or comments than the other. We understand competition. We're not like the millennials who everyone gets a trophy generation. We're actually a very competitive generation. And I think incentivizing some of that positive competition within teams or between teams in the military, even you know within a small rifle squad, right, with, even between two, two members, in a positive way, a little bit of extra money or incentive or competition – would actually go a long way to increasing overall performance. We're talking to Mike uh, Matthew Weiss, who's a uh, lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps, but we've got him on to talk about, and these are his personal opinions, a book he wrote, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, about uh, recruiting uh, crisis and the Gen Z uh, recruiting issues. Matthew, uh, as we come to a close here, I'm interested in knowing whether or not... um, this has been well received, or have you gotten any feedback? You know, sort of up the recruiting chain. As I said, the Army just put out today a bunch of bullet points that they're going to do, and one is eventually abolish involuntary recruiting assignments. Uh, I had a nephew, a Marine, who had a, was involuntarily put into a recruiting assignment. Not happy about it. You know, you can't be a great recruiter. I don't think if you're not happy about it. So I'm not sure your ideas have made it into their their most recent round, but are they talking to you about it at least? Are they, is there a conversation started, which was the whole point of the book? Yeah, so so I do think the conversation has started, and I am going to speak highly of uh, all parts of the chain of command here that, yes, high generals have reached out, people, policymakers in the Pentagon have reached out, as well as my you know, junior enlisted Marines. So I really has struck the proper chord uh, from anyone that has heard about it or decided to read it because it helps frame the conversation. Like I said, it, it, it's really, it's not saying I'm, you know, the great person that's going to come up with all the solutions, but it helps us frame this important conversation around some writing. So we're not just, you know, talking at the surface level. These are really difficult, wicked problems, as we would say, and they need nuanced solutions. So when you have like the book there as a little bit of a guide. It helps us go more into nuance rather than sort of these high high in the sky. Well, we should do this, and then it's not actually a thought about uh, solution. So I have gotten good feedback. I'd like it obviously to grow and to continue to get to various levels. I, I love the veteran community talking about it because they have probably the best perspective. They're a huge part to play here in the role because they're the, thankfully the representation of the military in society which is a huge, huge, hugely important um, part. And so it's definitely been an exciting journey, and hopefully you know, more conversation can be stimulated so that we can work to solve this because it really is a national security issue. It is, and uh, these are uh, very trying times. He's sitting in Australia. Not uh, China's not far away. Taiwan's not far away. There's a lot of things going on in the world you got to be thinking about. Um, I'm going to... Let folks know, Matthew, that this book, uh, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, is available on Kindle ebook and paperback as well as hardcover. Uh, the website is www.unclesambook.org, and I assume you can get it on all your major uh, booksellers. Is that right? Uh, it's Yeah, j- solely Amazon. So just simple, basic Amazon, amazon.com, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam by Matthew Weiss. That's the prime route to get it, or obviously via the website. But Amazon's been good and easy so far, and that's the way. It's also an audio book if anyone wants to listen, and uh, that's uh, that's the path forward for the book. 
Well, thank you for adding to this important conversation and giving a unique perspective to it. I'm glad to hear that others inside the military and out are are talking about it and thinking about it and bringing this helps bring a new perspective to it or additional perspective to it. Um, and uh, good luck in your tour, uh, Matthew, and thanks for taking some time to uh, spend it with the veteran radio listening audience. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fawson. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by visiting us at veteransradio.org. That's veteransradio.org. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our... National sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan, VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor, and the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. We appreciate all your support. You can go to veteransradio.net click on the sponsor level and continue to support keeping veterans radio on the air and until next time you are dismissed <laughs>